Hello and welcome to A Year with the Beatles, a limited series of podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by the Beatles, month by month. My name is Graham Burke and I'm joined by music critic and writer of the blog The Delete Men, Rob Jones. Hello, Rob. Hey, Graham. How's it going? It's going okay. Good. Also joining us is Bill Evenson, who was with us on our very first episode to talk about Please Please Me, what seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> welcome back, Bill. Well, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Now, as we approach the close of our year with Through the Beatles discography, we thought that we should offer as a further supplement to our 11th episode some consideration to the songs produced by the Beatles that didn't make it onto any of the albums we've discussed thus far. So we've limited this to singles and B-sides and have taken off the ones that appeared on Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine. To give you a flavoring of what we'll be talking about, here's all that remains from 1966 to 1970 in singles and B-sides in two minutes, more or less. Yes, sir, oh, madam, will you read my book? It took me years to write, will you take a look? It's based on a novel by a man named Lear, and I need a job, so I want to be a paperback writer. I can show you when it starts to rain, the rain comes So, in case you're wondering, those songs were Paperback Writer and Rain from 1966, Lady Madonna, The Inner Light, Hey Jude and Revolution from 1968, The Ballad of John and Yoko, and An Old Brown Shoe from 1969, and You Know My Name, Look Up the Number from 1970. Now, Rob. Yeah. Last time we talked about the singles, I asked why are there so many songs, some of them really amazing, that aren't on an album, and... I'm tempted to ask that very same question again, because when you think of the songs that are just released as singles, especially Paperback Writer and Hey Jude, it's really striking. I mean, why did the Beatles sort of ha have so many of their biggest songs not even be album releases? Uh, I think when, when we talked about this the last time, I mentioned that, you know, the Beatles like to add um, uh, value for money for their fans, you know, so they 
offer the, the singles as separate things to buy uh, and then you know not put those things on on the album I think too it, it probably had a lot to do with different business models you know between North America and uh, Britain at the time because you know they the Beatles weren't the only band to do this you know the Stones did it and the Small Faces and all and the Kinks and all those groups uh, they, they all recorded singles and didn't put those singles on records so it, it was just kind of a matter of course I think at the time um, but the Beatles being the Beatles, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to put out good, good songs, you know, uh, and, uh, and that's what they did. And, and these are some of the, uh, the best songs they ever wrote. Bill, Erica Ensign called this a sort of a, a burgoo of Beatles. It's quite a st interesting stew. What did you make of all these songs sort of listening to all together? It's almost a sort of a late period greatest hits in a way because you you've you've got such great songs. I think it makes for I think it we would make honestly I think it would make for an interesting album on its own because it, it is such a wide variety of songs. As a matter of fact, it did make for an album on its own. <laughs> Pretty much the entirety of the 1970 Hey Jude anthology album are these songs. That's right. Plus yeah. plus Can't Buy Me Love and Sh Should Have Known Better at the start and maybe taking out The Inner Light and You Know My Name. But yeah, it's it literally is those songs. So for me, I found the experience really nostalgic because the first thing with the Beatles I ever listened to was the Hey Jude anthology album when I was a six-year-old in, in 1976. It was a very... So yeah, so this song, this, this album had a lot of nostalgia for me because it sounds very familiar. <laughs> uh, it plays together really well. Why don't we talk about the singles we loved? Uh, so Rob, what, what caught your fancy this time through? Oh, it's that's an impossible question to, to answer, to, to just pick a few of these. Uh, they all have their charms. Uh, I'll go with uh, Ballad of John and Yoko. It's uh, an old rock and roll song, uh, you know, well, I guess it's a, it was a new song at the time, but it sort of had that sort of uh, rock and roll appeal that, uh, you know, John Lennon loved so much. And uh, that was during a time when, when the Beatles were really trying to find their footing. You know, they were trying to find their footing as a band because they, you know, they kind of run aground. You know, so the Ballad of John and Yoko is kind of a mixture between, you know, where John Lennon's head was at at the time. You know, he loved he loved rock and roll, but he also loved Yoko, and uh, his relationship with Yoko was kind of becoming more important to him than his uh, his work with the Beatles you know so it's an interesting in in that respect it's a very interesting song in terms of where the writer's head was at at the time um, and the only unfortunate thing is that uh, only two Beatles appear on it uh, Lennon plays all the instruments except the drums and he got Paul McCartney to come in and play those for him um, but uh, but other than that it, it's very representative of of, uh, of where Lennon's head was at See, I think that's one of the most interesting things about it. I, I think it's a really interesting to look at these late period singles and see that John and Paul are still capable of going in the studio and doing something together because sort of my impression, at least generally, has been that John and Paul were the most uh, at odds with one another, mm. at least one after the breakup. And to see them at this late period to do that song together and You Know My Name, Look Up My Number uh, together... They're they're clearly mm -hmm. enjoying each other's company. I think it's really interesting. Uh, that's that's definitely true. 
Uh, for me, I mean, it sounds like such a boring answer. The, the singles I loved from this thing are is Hey Jude. Uh, it's strange for me because it, it, it's it's another of those songs that I've just kind of taken for granted because I've heard since I was six years old. So I so I've heard it for forty years now. I, I just it's just it's so inbred in me, and I think it's just such a beautiful song. And the thing I, I guess wanted to ask uh, you you both about it was it's a song that captured the imagination of people, but it's a very simple song in many ways. There's not a lot to the lyric. It's it's remarkably just, it's a couple of verses in a chorus and a chorus that goes on and on. And, and, and the song, but what is it, Rob, do you think that's caught people's imaginations about that song? So It was written, as many people know, I'm not introducing anything new here, I know, but it was written for, uh, with, with Julie and Lennon in mind, because as uh, John and Cynthia were breaking up and, and Paul basically started writing the song for him, that, you know, to sort of um, encourage him that things were going to get better and, you know, everything's going to be okay. But it ended up being this anthemic sort of piece that could be applied to anyone or to maybe even, you know, the culture itself, you know, because as, as, we've, uh, as we've established, uh, 1968 was a really hard year. You know, a lot of bad stuff happened that year, you know, in, in terms of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, Dr. King was shot, um, you know, Robert Kennedy shot, you know, things were spiking up in Vietnam and it was rioting, uh, you know, all over the place in Chicago and in Paris and all those places. And I think, I think Hey Jude was a balm, you know, it was a real healing uh, element, I think. And I, I think... That's, that's what makes it what it is. It has that sort of um, encouraging and uh, healing kind of quality to it, I suppose, even though it's a bit too long. One of the things I remember about Hey Jude is that I had the single. I actually had the Hey Jude on one side and Revolution on the other. I'm sure it was a re-release uh, because I wasn't alive in 68, but um, I actually brought the record to school with me when I was in sixth grade and we played it maybe fifth grade, something like that. Um, you know, another thing about that I think is interesting about it is, you know, we have that performance of them playing it on the David Frost show, and I've seen multiple interviews with different Beatles over the years, and it just seems like the Beatles love that song. You know, nobody has ever said anything but but wonderful things about it, and it's in the midst of this period where they're not always getting along all that well. But everybody seems to love Hey Jude. I mean, even if you don't love it, I think you probably at least like it. And I like a good na 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 song. <laughs> I think I think Rob, I think both of you have kind of captured different elements of it. For me, I think what makes it so interesting is perhaps it's one of those songs that seems easy and it's not it's a very simple theme but it's built upon and built upon in a way that just it, it, you you're, you're brought into the life of it more and more
by the time you get to that final, that final na na na, you're just, you, it's just you, you're you're a part of it. it really grabs at you and pulls mm-hmm. you in. Um, which, which is, I think, which is, I think, I almost want to call it the Beatles effect because I think it's 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 a way that they're they've they've constructed their songs and in, they, their songs are always constructed in that sort of way that sort of it seems it seems simple and you and you listen to it and then you, as you get more and more into it you're you're more and more engaged mm. in it um, and I think I, I think this is embo- this is emblematic of I think the best of their songwriting in that respect we didn't I didn't we didn't haven't even talked about the genius that is Paperback Writer which is. Which is a song, is which is a oh, song yeah. that is lyrically doing so much, and as much as the lyrics are doing something, the the music in it is even doing more. I'm I'm staggered by the achievement of that song. It, it, I would like to say that uh, Paperback Writer uh, undercuts a lot of expectations mm-hmm. for me. Um, throughout this entire series of podcasts, I've talked about how much uh, I'm interested in and, and what, what attracts me to Beatles music is the interesting use of chords. In Paperback Writer, there's two. <laughs> there's just two chords. It's, it, it sort of undercuts expectations there, but it's all textural, you know, and, and the melody sort of... The melody is sort of a kind of a straight line, you know, kind of a flat line as well. So it shouldn't be as as compelling as it is. And I don't know how McCartney did that. Basically, it's it's a bit of a mystery. He did it by adjusting the tempo. Please, mm. sir, oh, madam, you can read my book. Yes, sir, oh, madam, can you read my book? It took me years to write. Will you take a look? And it has that kind of bounce. It will, it will, it will get, suddenly get go really slow. I need a break, and I wanna be a paperback right. But he wants to be. Paperback writer. Paperback writer. Paperback writer. And then the tempo goes up again. I think that's the genius of this of, of the music of that song is is that it, it, it is only using two chords, but it is it, it is varying its timing depending on what point in the song you're in. I like that a lot. Yeah, and that riff yeah. too. That's what I was just gonna say. Uh, I think that's the, it. Does it does so many things that the Beatles are known for because it's also got those great harmonies, obviously. But it, but that George Harrison riff. Not only is the riff great and was you know copied by numerous other bands. <laughs> so the, everybody's trying to get that kind of riff after that. But that sound, mm-hmm. the guitar, uh, the George Harrison guitar sound, I mean, it's perfect. The, you play somebody paperback writer, that's the Beatles. The B-sides are also often as stunning as the A-sides. Uh, Bill, do you have a favorite B-side? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I have, oof. I think my favorite B-side is Revolution. It's closely followed by Old Brown Shoe. Um, I, I, just like you were saying about um, about Ballad of John and Yoko, not discovering that until late. I didn't discover Ballad of John and Yoko or Old Brown Shoe until I was aware of all the other Beatles songs. So uh, Old Brown Shoe just seems like 
any other band should have put it out as an A-side. It, it's clear at that point George needs to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> George. Uh, I mean, you've you've saw it in the Let It Be movie too. You know the way he feels, whether or not Paul is being as critical of him as he thinks he is. He's he's it's time for him to branch out, and I think Old Brown Shoe is a great example of that. He just throws that one off. Oh, that that'll be a B side. I think it's great. <laughs> I, I for me it's for me it's rain uh, from it's hard to me for me to believe that you know songs like old brown shoe as you just said bill and rain are are like b-sides and for me rain is my pick for a b-side it's it's a really lovely song and i mean john lennon it, it, it's 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 a lovely it's a very lyrical song which is not something i kind of expect out of john lennon in a way And I love the way he uses, very similar to Help, the way he uses the overdub as as an almost percussive effect to sort of sort of aid the song. It's a really beautiful song. Every time I hear it, I, I, I just I just I just kind of look up and go, Yeah, that's right. This is a Beatles song. It's really mm-hmm. good. I think that's really interesting because John Lennon's songs in the early period of the Beatles are not generally the beautiful songs, and in the late period. He writes some really beautiful songs, so he maybe it's kind of a transition. Uh, I I will agree with you also with Rain because uh, it is it is at least as innovative as anything on uh, uh, Revolver um, in terms of its approach to recording, um, in terms of its atmosphere. It's got a real summery feel to it, um, but it's like but it also has that lysergic acid thing happening as well right with all the sort of backward guitar and backward voices and things like that uh it just captures the imagination you know and that's that's what pop music's supposed to do so uh, yeah it's uh, that yeah again graham it's really so hard to pick what favorites among these songs i mean they're some of the best songs that, that they ever I wrote know. so were there any real surprises among these singles and b-sides um i, I suppose the the most underrated one maybe uh the underrated song uh that i discovered i I guess later uh in my uh uh beatles journey uh is the inner light uh by harrison uh just because for whatever reason i never i never heard it uh until you know more more recently and i'm i'm just amazed by how timeless that song is uh in terms of its instrumentation in terms of his delivery um, its simplicity, um, and it could have been recorded by an artist like yesterday. Without going out of my door, I can know all things on earth. Without looking out of my window. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't strike me as a particularly 1960s type of song even though the the subject matter is all around their you know involvement in transcendental meditation and all that kind of stuff it's just one of those songs that he was writing around that time sort of a tiny little song you know that is bigger than it seems and and uh, I said yeah Rob thanks for stealing mine <laughs> um, 
You're welcome. <laughs> because I was not only go- I was not only going to say the inner light. I was also going to say, yeah, it's a song that just sounds like it could have been made yesterday. I was going to talk about how contemporary it yeah. sounds. So you pretty much stole my answer. Uh, all right. <laughs> The one thing I will add to it is that, for me, what I like about it is it's it uses the Indian music almost like sampling. Arrive without traveling. See all without looking. Do all without doing. It uses it to punctuate the song as opposed to to sort of be the song. Um, in many ways, I think it's it's kind of a fusion of Eastern and, and and contemporary Western music, like Within You, Without You, but I think it's much more concisely done, and I think that's the genius of it. So that is what I will say about that. <laughs> Thanks for sending my answer. Uh, Bill, what were your surprises? Well, I, I like what you, I agree with you, what you said about inner, the inner light being a more contemporary sounding uh, version of Within You, Without You, which I can kind of do without, uh, personally. But the inner light was a skip for me that was the one you'd, i would skip even more so than than the other song on this list that you gen- generally tend to skip um and that's what i think is interesting to me now listening to it in preparation for this is there's no desire to skip that song anymore so i think maybe it's grown on me it, it is a really <laughs> beautiful song although some of the sent- sentiments in it uh i think are a little hard for me to grasp uh the farther one travels, the less one knows. Seems seems like something. Uh, he does elaborate on what he means by that, but I don't know if I buy it. <laughs> it, it it is George at his most doctrinaire, yeah. I must say. <laughs> <laughs> there and there'd be a strain of that throughout his his career. He he sort of um, at some points, you know, he kind of crosses the line in terms of being preachy and things like that, and that's a pretty well known uh, element. But um, <laughs> As a religious track, it's terrible, <laughs> you, you know, but as a song, it's awesome. My final question is a somewhat broad one. I guess, uh, what do you think these singles sort of reveal about the Beatles in their second half of their career? Uh, I, I will venture an answer so that, you know, give you guys some time to prepare. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think one of the takeaways I got out of listening to all these songs is that they're not satisfied. They're always trying to better themselves. They're always trying to outdo themselves. Even a very jokey song like You Know My Name, Look Up the Number is them, which is, you know, basically John Lennon inventing Vic Reeves's <laughs> lounge singer act from Shooting Stars. At this, now, at this point in the impressions round, we ask Mr. Vic Reeves, who's sitting Hello. here. Hello. There he is. <laughs> to do an impression via the gift of club singing. Baby, baby! <laughs> and you have to guess which song it is he's singing. You got that? Are you ready, George? Aye. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Obscure, obscure '90s British television reference. <laughs> yeah, complete, complete with uh, with Brian Jones playing the saxophone on that. Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. So you know, some heavy hitters musician-wise. I know, but even a jokey song like that is them riffing off of several different ideas and saying, "Well, 
why would you just do one lyric as a mantra and and we'll and we'll just do it a different diff- dozen different ways and and as jokey as that is i feel like that's kind of the running theme through all these i mean for me you know you look at a song like paperback writer and it's just got ideas to burn and 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 even yeah, and you go through the other songs i mean it's just it's just they're just never satisfied they're they're always trying to do something different they're always trying to top themselves and 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 you know and and when you have a you know, songs that include everything from Paperback Writer to Hey Jude to The Palette of John and Yoko. It, it, it just sort of it just sort of goes across the map for me. I think I think it does show that the Beatles, uh, in a way, it's it's like it shows them splitting up better than any of their actual albums do, because Let It Be sort of does come together into some sort of uh, work. But this this kind of shows how they're all splitting up into different directions. Except it, there's no real representation from Ringo, but it it just seems like yeah, the ideas are all there, and and they. I, I there's there's a an interview with Paul McCartney at one point where he talks about, or no, maybe it was George. I don't even remember where they were talking about. You know, you wanted to get these songs out because you just wanted to get them out because so you can work on the next one. They've just got so many ideas. They just got to get them yeah, out. Just right. get that record out so they can start recording the next song. And this that's what I see in this list. That's a really interesting observation, Bill, because I think uh, you look at the singles that they did from from 63 to, to, to 65 and they're they're very much they're very much group singles. There's things like I feel fine where you can say, oh, you know, listen to listen listen to listen to that 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 great you know that great feedback thing that that Lennon did at the start at the start of the song, and then the great riff that opens the song, you know, that that George did, and then. You have Paul and John doing the harmonies on, and it just it, and and Ringo's drumming. It feels like a, a lot of different, really genius group songs. And then you get to this, where it's a lot of really genius solo songs that the Beatles are are playing on. Um, so you know, I think Hey Jude is probably the greatest example of that. But Paul's playing drums <laughs> on on the ballad of John and Yoko. You know, they, they, he's not even bothering to get, bring in George Harrison to do a guitar riff at this point. It, it, it has. So yeah, I think I think it's a well I think it's well observed that that you know at this point you can sort of see the breakup in the respect that they are doing much more they're much more solo numbers under the Beatles banner as opposed to as as opposed to uh, Beatles songs and and it little surprise that the biggest success after they break up is Ringo. I think Ringo it has like all the biggest hits for 1971. No, they were written by John and Paul, I think. So I think that matters. But. I, I think George Harrison produced a, a photograph as well. So I agree. I, I think you know, in terms of that whole piece about uh, you know them producing work under uh, the Beatles' artistic banner and not really as a band as they were, uh, is 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 probably the most striking thing. Um, they had ideas about uh, maybe not you know for paperback writer and whatever it is by then they were still kind of collaborating as a band but you know by old brown shoe and and uh you know ballad of john and yoko it's uh it was kind of gearing right down you know and they were doing their own things and they had full ideas about how each song should sound instead of coming into the studio and asking each other okay what 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 do you want to put on this type stuff like that method of working was gone you know by by the time 
uh, a lot of these uh, songs are being uh, recorded. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it, it does kind of show the, the, the wear and tear and the deterioration of them as a band, but, but not the songs. The yeah. songs are great. Uh, and I, I think that's a real testament to, uh, uh, to their talent uh, individually um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's very telling where they were. Well, I think that's a nice way to end off, and a, a nice way to sort of lead into what will be our discussion on "Let It Be." If you have any comments, drop us a line at Beatles at GemKeeperRareBug.com, and we'll be back in a little while to talk to you about the Beatles' twelfth album, "Let It Be," in our final episode. In the meantime, thank you, Rob Jones and Bill Evenson. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm Graham Burke. We'll see you next time on The Year with the Beatles.